This episode of Get In The Game podcast is presented by the Sports Spectrum magazine, story and articles on the intersection of sports and faith that you won't find anywhere else. I love this magazine, and I highly recommend that you all subscribe and get your copy today. It's only $18 for one year or $30 for a two-year subscription. Makes a great gift and perfect for the kids. Subscribe today at sportspectrum.com and click the magazine icon at the top of the page. Get your subscription now at sportspectrum.com. Hello, welcome to Get in the Game Podcast with your host, Scott Lang, former MLB star and current water mission advocate. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad, so let's dive right in. Hey everybody, I'm Scott Linebrink, back here for another episode of Get In The Game podcast. Uh, I love this podcast because we get to talk to some really cool people with some cool stories, and I'm excited to have one of my good buddies on this week's podcast. He is a former teammate, uh, now living in the same town that I do in Georgetown, Texas, and this is Brandon Puffer. Puff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Liney, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you and I were together just recently here, and you're one of those guys that, you know, I maybe go months without seeing, but uh, when we do see each other, we just kind of catch up, pick up where we left off, and I get a text from you every now and then, but um, but you're a guy that that I've known for, gosh, better part of 20 years now, going all the way back to the, what was that, 03 Strohs, 2002? Yeah, right in that range is where we both kind of broke in with Houston together, and then Followed you over to San Diego, and That's right. I still can't get rid of you. We live in the same town now, as you said. <laughs> that wouldn't yeah. happen any other way, man. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I, I often forget that we were in San Diego together, too, because uh, you and I kind of fo- both followed that same path of being in Houston. Yeah. And, of course, I was playing for my hometown heroes, the Houston Astros, and then uh, I go out to California, and then you follow me out there, and you had to tell me, you know, all about how how you're supposed to act as a California guy. So, I did try to pick up surfing a little bit um, yeah. to some degree of success, but but uh, I think it's funny that we both came back to Texas, and I yeah. feel like maybe you're not a Texan by birth, but you got here as quick as you could. I agree, 100. percent This is home. I've been here since '01. I have family back in California. It's nice to go visit and get some good weather and beaches, and then quick to get back out of there no offense to anybody in california but i do consider texas home now and i, and I love where i am yeah well let's go back to the bullpen there in houston um I, i'm just thinking of some memories that that i have of you and uh for those of you who maybe haven't read the bio sheet on brandon puffer um he had a, a great big league career um he played for four different teams including the astros including the uh, the Padres, you also played with the Rangers, and you won a World Series with the, the Red Sox, too. So, yeah, really a cool deal. A little, little bit of time with the Giants, which I think you That's did right. as well, kind of parallel our paths again. But, yep. yeah, exactly. It was, it was a great run and had a lot of fun doing it. So, you and I, I remember in Houston, you know, we were both up-and-comers. Um, I think at that time, I might have had a few days in the big leagues. That's about it. You were working your way up. Uh, you and I were roommates in spring training one year, and I always remember like you were a guy that would wake up in the morning, like make your bed, uh, very regimented, dressed for the day, going to to work out. Uh, always a hard worker, always trained on your goal, and um, 
and yeah, you had um, kind of a unique style too. You were a side armor, and uh, and I appreciated that about you know this guy's got a little bit different look than most guys. But um, uh, I, regrettably, one of the the first memories that pops to my mind is you giving up probably the furthest home run I've ever seen in my life to Jim Tomey. And Jim Tomey has been a guest on this show too. Um, but yes. Do you remember yes. that? Oh, vividly. I sure do. Yeah. I, um, the funny part about that, Scott, is I, I think not only is it the furthest ball I ever hit by a man, but certainly the first one I've given up. <laughs> and I, it was a day game. So here's how much I remember this. It was a day game. And I'm a big fan. So when I go home, some everyone's different. I think you were a guy that could turn it off pretty good and go do other things. I'm watching baseball tonight. I'm watching Sports Center. I'm watching other games. So it was a day game. Went back to the place I was staying in Houston. And I literally turned the TV on. I mean, I clicked the remote and I heard, let's go out to Houston and look where this one lands off the bat <laughs> of Jim Tomei. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I know where we're going. And I think that sign at that time was Miller Lite. It's been different yes. since now, but it hit way up over the concourse, over yeah. top of the Miller Lite. It was a change up. So he supplied all the power. And the one thing I know about Jim Tomei, I've never met him. It sounds like you have. I'd love to. Is he's just such a great human being that it's it's almost like a badge of honor like okay he got like 500 other guys uh, but yes i vividly remember that home run i saw it on tv and as you know as a reliever your buddies and your family aren't texting if you get the job done it's when you're on sports center giving up exactly off. yeah oh so, yeah that, everybody paid attention to that one yeah yeah i remember you're right i mean it went over the upper deck it hit the back wall of the stadium and i think if there had not been a roof on minute Maid at the time it would have ended up on highway 59 like on the other side of the street it was it was impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been dangerous had not it been for the roof. Absolutely. Well, that's funny because, you know, I, I think I'm a lot like you. You know, we're both relievers. Um, we had opportunities to come in and, and win the game, and sometimes we didn't get it done. And it's it's sometimes the failures that you really remember the most. I don't I don't remember how many guys I struck out or if I struck out a guy multiple times, but I'll remember a big home run like that in a key moment. Do you feel the same way? A hundred percent. Absolutely. All through the minor leagues, I was fortunate enough to close. I know you did some closing, had some real good years in that regard and had a few good games a bit, but it was like, if kids ask me now to this day, you know, memories, it's who, who hit home runs off you. And I know it <laughs> immediately. Right. Or, you know, it was the toughest game you ever had. It's like, Oh, Tulsa double A, gave up nine earnings in one inning. It happened so fast. It's like, I just vividly remember those. So it's just an interesting thing about that where it's hard to really, sit and enjoy the good ones but certainly remember the bad ones and, and i think we're far enough removed now where it's all good and fun and games but even during the career i tend to beat myself up over the one pitch i didn't make as opposed to all the good ones i did you know absolutely yeah. so that's really where i want to go with you today puff because um you've got an incredible story and it's a story that's rooted in a failure um but how you used that experience to uh, take you to a new level in your faith, um, really help you grow and learn. And I know it was something that was not, uh, it was very painful. Um, it was not fun to go through, but why don't you take us through that story? I know it just started at the end of your baseball career, but um, what, tell us about that. Yes, absolutely. To paint a little picture of that, Lenny, um, you know, all throughout my childhood, in, including, you know, my early days in baseball, um, and I'll even back up a little more, go to my childhood. Uh, my dad, it was a man who struggled with alcoholism and, and anger issues. And, but he was my idol. He was my hero. I mean, I absolutely, he came and hung out with us in spring training. He still talks. About I remember. You oh yeah. He loves you. 
And um, what a great man. He got his life turned around. He got sober. So it was wonderful to see him do all that. My mom on the flip side, very strong in her faith, um, literally, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people agree with this, a mo- like a modern day Mother Teresa. I mean, just mm-hmm. has served her, her whole life. She really has. And so I gravitated towards wanting to be like my dad. And so I fought those demons um, of alcoholism, promiscuity, um, you know, even trying to just be be a man or what I thought was a man. Certainly mm-hmm. it wasn't. But and I also like to call it just filling that God-shaped hole that was inside of me with everything except him. And so, um, yeah, I had some bouts or some moments of sobriety about five years sober after I you know, became a Christian. And then I had a really tough time in my life, a separation away from my family and unfortunately, you know, fell off the wagon, so to speak. And so from that point on, I was battling those demons off the field again, just Mm -hmm. back and forth. And that would really catch up with me in 2008. I was with the Rangers and kind of a player coach role, kind of the Crash Davis, Bull Durham role as an older guy who had made it a little bit. And now I'm back with the the young double A guys. And um, those guys, man, they were always trying to get me to go out. And they were always saying things like, Puff, we heard you used to have a good time. Come with us. And and I knew, you know, Scott, I would tell him, I said, man, it's just, I can ruin my, my life in one day, guys. Because mm-hmm. they, they'd say, it's one night. Who cares? One choice. And I was the chapel leader and I wanted to be a good leader. And um, they looked up to me in that regard. And, and unfortunately, I was battling a lot of, you know, kind of some mental health stuff and anxiety and depression. And so I would go out and kind of numb myself on my own, unbeknownst to them, but didn't want to let them down. So I wouldn't go out with them kind of living a double life, really. Um, and uh, September 13th, 2008, we're in the championship series. And I was just driving into the park one day and decided, you know what, they're right. What's one night? I'm going to go out with these guys, have a good time. And, um, you know, all will be fine. And that's my message now to so many people is and one compromise, one decision, one choice, good or bad, can completely change the trajectory of your life. And for wow. me, it was a negative choice. Um, I went out with the guys um, I ended up, you know, catching a burglary of a habitation with intent to commit a felony and a blackout that I was in. And that's no excuse for what happened. I'm 100% um, take full responsibility for it. But that was the truth. I had, I had drank too much. I was in a blackout, made some very poor choices. And I woke up in an orange jumpsuit on September 14th. And so wow. that was effectively, I got out on bond that day. I was uh, bailed out by our clubhouse manager and our pitching coach. And I pitched that night. And then the season ended two days later, and that was the end of my career. And I had big plans to pitch till I was 40. I think I was 32, 33 at the time. I wanted to be a big league bullpen coach after that. And the Rangers had expressed, you know, hey, when you're ready, we can start grooming you for that. And, you know, it's got that one decision just completely flipped life upside down. And not just for me. I mean, for my family, there was a victim involved. Um, you know, poor ladies just, you know, sleep. And I, I mess up her you know, sense of safety and peace. And so that's the thing about these choices is they, they don't just affect you. They affect a whole lot of people around you. And so, yeah, as, as uncomfortable and as um, embarrassing as, as that is to share, it's important because it, it, again, it just shows that it doesn't matter what trajectory you're on, you know, playing in the big leagues or having success in whatever you're doing. Um, if, if you're not willing to listen to that small voice or, or whatever it is telling you, Hey, you really shouldn't be doing this, which I was hearing that small voice when I made those choices, um, I ignored it and I did it anyway. And I, and I paid a severe price. Again, consequences for me were five years in a Texas prison. I ended up spending three and a half years. Yeah. My sentence was five. I got out early on good behavior. Um, and Scott really in those three and a half years, but I mean, when they literally, when they gave me the sentence, they stripped me of my clothes, 
They put me in a white jumpsuit this time and the bars hit. I heard a clank, the bars. It was like a movie scene to me, but it was real. And that was the first time I truly surrendered to God. I had really? said the prayer. Yeah, wow. I'd said the prayer. You know, we spent time together in a lot of yeah. Bible studies. Um, a kind of white knuckle Christian, I would say. Like, I'm sober. I'm doing the right thing. This is what we're supposed to do. But not a surrender. Like, God, what do you have for me? I can't wait to just attack this day with, with your plan. And that was the first time. And so, and, and up until that point, the prayer was, I don't want to go to prison. Get me out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, just please rescue me. And at that point, the prayer changed. And it was like, okay, this is where I got myself with my choices. What do you have for me? And I'm going to walk this thing out. And I, I planned on doing five years. I did all the math on my kid's birthday, you know, how old they would be, all these just awful things. And, and uh, but you know what? I had peace and joy through that whole sentence. I mean, I literally was a, a janitor at times. I worked in the kitchen. Obviously, you've, if you've seen TV, a lot goes on in there that's not fun to be around. Um, but I just found a peace and joy I never had before. So I finally mm. put God in that God-shaped hole instead of everything else. And man, I walked it out for those three and a half years and, you know, got out kind of humbly took a maintenance job at a stadium near us in Round Rock. And, and God just continued to show me grace and mercy and, and just restore everything, my kids and, and baseball back into my life and all these things that I'll be honest with you, I didn't think I deserved. And when I was in there, I never thought would come be a part of my life again. And, and he just goes to show, Hey, you know, you're so much bigger than your biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. And I still have this plan for you. We just had to take a detour. Uh, so sorry about that long-winded answer, but that's kind of the the moment we you were alluded to. Yeah, absolutely, and I I do want to continue to drill into this because I yeah. think that's an incredible story. Um, first of all, I want to commend you for your courage to tell that, um, and I've heard you share that story before, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you on this podcast is because I think it is such an inspiration when you talk about you know how God can restore the broken, He can heal the brokenhearted, the damaged, and for anybody who thinks that they're too far away from God or that they've, they've gone too far to come back. Um, what would your message be to somebody who says that? Oh, that's a great question. I, um, I kind of, uh, well, first of all, the message is simple. He's got the same plan for you. He always did. He knows exactly what you were going through. He knows it's no surprise to him. Right. Um, he, he, he has that same calling on your life that he always had. And I think of Jonah who went, mm. you know, Three and a half, three days, excuse me, in the in the the belly of a whale, and because he didn't want to, he didn't want to do his calling, he didn't want to live it out. And God's like, okay, we can go hang out here for a little bit. And now we're gonna put you right on that same track, right? And and I was, I guess, more knuckleheaded than Jonah because I needed three and a half years, not three days. And um, but you know, I'm just an example of God going, okay, I always had this plan for you to have this program and speak in a young man's life and do all these things, but. We just need to take a, a little detour because you weren't ready. And, and I think he's always grooming us and shaping us. And, and although it was certainly my choices that put me there, um, he's able to use all things for good. And what the enemy had you know, meant for evil, he made for good. So I would encourage anybody going through that right now, whether you're just at the front end of some consequences or a poor choice. And look, Scott, a lot of times these choices, you didn't ask for them. They just happened to you. Abuse and things of that nature. Um, again, like you said it best. The, to the broken and contrite heart, God is near. And so mm-hmm. if that's you and you're feeling that, just keep crying out to him because he can handle it. Be honest. Like, why am I going through this? I didn't even ask for this. And in my case, I more fought the shame and guilt of I did make this choice mm-hmm. and I don't deserve your grace and your mercy. And he just kept showing it to me and having a supportive family and, and things of that nature really helped. But um, yeah, it's just amazing to watch him 
show up even through a big mistake. And, and again, I think changing the behavior and, and actually having true remorse and humility is very important because it's easy to, to just say, well, uh, I messed up, what's next? I think there's certainly a process you have to go through of, of kind of uh, that, again, humility and remorse. And I don't want to make those choices anymore. And, and at that point, that's where God's like, all right, let me take over. I, I've got this. That would be my encouragement to folks going through that. Yeah, that's, that is well stated right there. You know, as you were talking and sharing your story, I was thinking about that verse, and I, I often think about it, uh, have no confidence in the flesh. And I don't remember where it comes from. I believe it's one of Paul's epistles. But um, but I think about that statement often, you know, that, that there's a lot that we can have confidence in, and especially in our society, our world that we've built around us, you know, whether it be from a financial standpoint or from a morality standpoint. Um, but we, we do all this stuff. We, we basically build a wall and, you know, if, if you want to call it the wall of integrity or the wall of character, it's like, you know, brick by brick, we build that. And it's based on what people seeing us do or statements that we make or how we live. But boy, it only takes one swinging wrecking ball to knock that whole thing down. And just like yeah. what you said, and, and, uh, and I believe, you know, I've been in positions like that too, where I think, oh, I would never do that. Or, you know, I, I am not, I'm not that bad of a person where I would resort or, you know, devolve into this kind of behavior. The minute I say that, I'm putting faith in, in the flesh. I'm putting confidence in my flesh that I can do it. And I think the proper perspective and what I try to say is, you know, with God's help, you know, I, I never want to do this or that. I never want to dishonor my family. I never want to, you know, um, you know, pick, pick a dozen, dozen different things we don't want to do, but, right. but the bottom line is we, we have to rely on God's strength every single day, because the fact is we are all sinful human beings. We've all got the capacity for any number of evils that have ever been committed in the history of the world. All of that evil lives within us. And it's only by God's grace that we don't act out on that. That's well said. And that's a great analogy. I, I agree with that hundred percent. And, and first off, just to kind of give you, um, some praise. Uh, you're actually the, the book I have coming out. You're in it. And uh, they asked me a question. They said, "Who are some?" Because I I explained that for me, living the baseball life, being a man of faith, trying to be a man who wanted to be loyal and faithful to God, to family, is very hard. It's very very tough. Mm -hmm. And but people do it, do it well. Many many men do. And uh, so I was just reading through the manuscript yesterday and I was like, and you jumped in my mind. I was like, you know, who, who are guys that you looked up to that did that well? And I said, line brain, mm. that's Berkman and um, yeah, Brad Lidge and, you know, Hoffman yeah. as we moved on. Trevor. And I'm like, there are guys that do it and do it well. Um, but yeah, you were that guy. And so, yeah, I, I, you probably are capable about anything. We all are. And I remember hearing testimonies when guys would come speak to us at events when we were young up and coming, you know, men of faith and, and, and share these testimonies, these falls or these falls from grace. And I literally can remember vividly sitting in that chair going, what? Ow, like, how, how's that possible? You're, you're a Christian and you did what? And then here I am on the other side of that, to your point, you know, if you don't continue to tend that garden and be in prayer and be in the word and do all the things you need to do to keep your walk, you know, strong, then the enemy's, he's conniving. He's really good at what he does. And before you know it, I mean, we say it was one choice, right? But really, it was it was a bunch of little choices leading up to a big one. He was setting the stage for the big fall for me. So just, yeah, again, paying attention to 
um, you know, what you need to do to keep your walk strong mm. is important. Having a routine in that regard and not getting away from it. Because to this day, if I get too far away from it, it's like, wow, some of the thoughts I'm capable of having still blow my mind. They really, mm. really do. And I think that's why I've been a little more honest and transparent about things these days. Because back in the past, again, I told you I didn't want to let that team down. So I didn't tell anybody that I was struggling and needed help because I thought, well, they're going to think less of me or nobody else thinks like this. You know, what's wrong with me? And I, I think the more people are open and honest about their, their thoughts, even the most vile and, and in some times even their actions, the more other people can relate and go, look, we're, none of us are too far away from this. We need to really remember to, to, to keep these things at the forefront. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, the Bible even tells us, confess your sins to another. Um, you know, sometimes when we have our secret prayer and, and we think, well, you know, I'm just going to tell God about this and you know, but boy, I wouldn't want my wife to know about this or my buddies who, like you say, we're trying to uphold an image for. Well, <laughs> why do we think that that God thinks, you know, any different? You know, why are we worried about, you know, not offending God? But we we certainly don't want to offend our fellow man. I mean, God's the one who sees everything, who knows our hearts. Um, you know, but it it does help when we have that accountability of another friend of our, our spouse or whoever it is in our life, our mentors to tell them, Hey, I'm struggling. I need some prayer in this. I, I need you to help, help me get through this. Absolutely. And that's the encouragement to people. And, and to be honest with you, Scott, if, if not, if we don't, you know, everything done in the dark is going to be seen in the light anyway. And it might end up being a very public way. Mm. Um, and it was, I think I had plenty of opportunities. If I look back to go, I'm in a good spot. I need to get this help. I need to tell someone, but I just kept stuffing it to your point and wanted to uphold an image of, you know, this guy that maybe kids look up to because we played ball or maybe even our teammates because we we do profess Christianity and we were involved in FCA or, you know, and things of that nature. So, yeah, it's a great point. And it's just like anymore. I'm just like, look, you know, if I have buddies that aren't men of faith or whatever the case may be, and they're like, oh, you're I'm just like, guys, don't you know what I'm capable of? And without God, I'm capable of just about anything to your point. So, yeah, it's, it's a great point and an encouragement to those folks who are you know, trying to walk out this Christian faith, it's getting a little tougher and tougher to do as we, as we move ahead in, in the times. And so just being strong in that and unashamed of it. And, but at the same time, you know, Hey, we certainly don't have it all together. We really don't, but we're just trying to be more like Jesus every day. Yeah. Uh, you and I had a, a, um, chaplain out in San Diego. You probably remember him well, Doug Sutherland. And, uh, I remember Doug saying, I'm just one bum showing another bum where the bread line is. Uh, I love go. that statement. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah. See, that, that kind of humility and is really what it's about. It, mm. it really is. And I think that's what you'll find in the most genuine of, of folks that are just truly trying to help. And I think I shared with you, I don't remember if we were recording yet, that before I had that big fall from grace and spent time in prison uh, amongst what would be considered the dregs of society, I didn't really have a heart for people like I feel like I should have or I do now. Um, I saw a bunch of men that were just really good men, um, talented and, and gifted and in some cases athletic and intelligent, and it just made really bad mistakes. And fortunately for me, I was able to get out and, and, and get on track and do some, hopefully some good and, and have some positive with my story. Some of the guys I met, they're never going to have that opportunity. I mean, mm. their mistake was enough that that's the rest of their life is going to be incarceration. And, and again, I mean, of course there are, there, there's people that just like there are here in the free world that are not very good human beings and they want trouble and they enjoy it. Um, but there was also just so many that were, when you get a chance to really sit down and get to know them and talk with them, that were just phenomenal men, men with families. And just like you and I, that 
you know, be it drugs or alcohol or, or had them making bad choices were incarcerated and away from their families. And so I think that helped me. Uh, it certainly was a uh, humility I needed. I need to remind myself of not forgetting where I came from, but also to look to others um, and have a heart for them as opposed to just being so caught up in my, my own routine, my own selfish desires of chasing that dream we were chasing. So you mentioned your book. Tell us more about that, because I know um, the, the title really intrigued me. Tell us the title. Yeah, yeah. So it's from the bullpen to the state pen. Wow. And yeah, it's about that, you know, kind of that chasing that dream to be a big leaguer and thinking, man, if we could just get one day in the big leagues, you might have thought this way. Our, our lives would be complete and realizing that's not really where our peace and our joy comes from. And then ultimately outlying, you know, my my choice and my consequence and walking through some of what that looked like and how that ultimately changed my life. And then again, God's grace and redemption on the other side of that, of some of the things I'm able to do now that I had no idea he still had in store for me. And so I love, I do love the title. That was one thing where I was, it was non-negotiable. I was like, this is the title. I came up with it while I was in there and, and this is what's going to be. And then on the back, it just, you know, the biggest message is just, you're, you're so much more than your biggest mistake. And that's kind of the message we're trying to get out there. Yeah. Wow. So, and tell me, I, I think I remember you telling me, me this at one point, um, the the time between winning a World Series with the Red Sox and getting that ring, and then wasn't it like almost a year later that you were in prison? No, it would have been a few years. A few years. That. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. uh, 2004 was the year I was with the Red Sox. And I don't okay. know if you know the full story there. I had a very 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 small role on that team i mean <laughs> when you say very like it's like i'll tell you how small i uh did not pitch for him i was in Pawtucket, got called up for a day and a half okay yeah did not pitch for him but when you hadn't won a world series in 100 years you just give everybody a ring you're just yeah. you're awesome <laughs> out there but however however in an interleague game before i got traded with the padres we played in fenway and got our butts kicked and i did pitch so i contributed okay i contributed in some ways <laughs> For, for giving it up when I was with the Padres to the Red Sox. But yeah, they, they ended up giving me a ring. And then mm. that was 05 spring training is when I received that. And in 2008, at the end of the season, okay. I ultimately um, okay. be arrested and go, go do that time. Yeah. But when you look back, um, you know, obviously getting that ring is a, a huge trophy. It's something uh, you'll probably have for the rest of your life. Um, but then think about that, that uh, experience in prison and compare those two things. And would you trade either one of those? So I would not. And here I need to back up just a little bit about the ring. Okay. I don't have it. Oh, you don't? I don't have it. I don't have it. And it's been, it's, it's another thing I've been very transparent with about my story. Um, when I was in hard times, I, I sold it. And um, here's the irony of that. And we just talked about whatever's done in the dark will be seen in the light. Yeah. One of those choices. I mean, I think, you know, you've been around me enough to know, like, I just love the game. Like, I love it. So when I would hear about stories like that, it broke my heart. Yeah. I never, again, I never thought I was capable of doing this. I never thought I was capable of selling a World Series, you know, all these things. I'm just like, wow, how far life can take you when you're in your sin and your choices. Um, so I did it and I actually did it very quietly. And I had to take care of some, some you know, law, lawyer things and financial things. And one night I'm sitting there, I'm working at the Dell Diamond um, when I kind of just get back on my feet working there, doing some maintenance and some different things. And my phone just starts going crazy. It's like, Puff, are you, are you watching Pawn Stars? Have you ever watched Pawn Stars? Pawn Star? And I'm like, what's this Pawn Star? They're like, what's going on? The guy who had bought it took it on the episode of Pawn Stars. 
you can search it, man. It's on there. Oh, wow. And they didn't want it because it was my name and I had gone to prison. If it was Big Poppy, yeah, they would have probably yeah. bought it. But um, so to your point, it's like, you know, that's what we want, right? A World Series ring. That's all we dreamed about. Mm. And that's how little that, that meant to me in terms of true joy and peace is when times got tough, I got rid of it. I believe the last part of my redemption story is God's going to redeem that ring to me at some point. Hmm. But we'll see if he doesn't, it's okay. It was part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then about changing the prison part, I would change 100% the hurt that I caused other people hmm. without a doubt, but not going away for three and a half years and not, you know, having that time to, you know, of introspection of just like, Hey, what do I really want to do in this life? Cause to that point, it was a selfish gain. It was just, Hey, I'm going to worry about my career and I'm going to worry about my routine. And I, again, I struggle with a lot of anxiety. So I was always thinking about the next thing. If I'd have a good outing, it's like, I got to prepare for the next outing, whatever the case may be. And I just didn't live a life of, of really taking the time to slow down and encourage people and really, frankly, care about people like you should. I mean, it was nice to people. We got along great. I mean, it was a friendly person, but I just really felt like going away and, and God getting me to kind of by myself for three and a half years and putting things into perspective and, and just, um, you know, even education and some of the things I did while I was in it that were productive um, really kind of changed the course for me. And now what I'm able to do now, I don't think ever would have happened if I just stayed in my plan and my path of, you know, being a big league bullpen coach one day, I think I probably could have attained that. I really do. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not what he had for me. And now when I you're able to look at now and go, Oh, I didn't need, I never saw any of this coming. And this is really awesome um, in terms of, you know, having the program and all these different things that we talked about. So I wouldn't change any of it. Wow. So what I hear you saying is, you know, all of the things that we were uh, aspiring for, you know, trying to get that ring, that championship, you didn't find peace in that, but you found peace in prison, cleaning toilets and being a janitor. And, and that was the experience that you, that you hold dear. That's incredible. A hundred percent. And it really showed me that, True peace, true joy is not in your circumstances. Mm. It's not. It's not being on that mound. It's not celebrating with the team. All oh, that was great. I loved every bit of our time in the bullpen and even strumming the guitar in the hotel and camaraderie of the team and love, love, loved all that. But at the end of the day, it's not going to give you that that true peace and joy that only comes from God and God alone. And until He's all you have, you really don't know that He's all you need. And that's what I found out in the three and a half years. And so now you can carry that forward to your circumstances and life's still not perfect. And I have bad days and good days. And, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, the circumstances aren't what's going to determine my joy. It's going to be his love. And that's, that's it. Yeah. Wow. You don't realize, uh, all you, that he's all you need until he's all you have. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about what you're doing now, because I love again, how you have taken this story, this redemption story, a place of brokenness, uh, God's done a healing in your life and he's given you a story to tell others and how you are sharing your story with others to, uh, to give them encouragement, but you're doing a great thing with young men here who are aspiring after their own dreams of baseball. Tell us about the the work that you and Brian Gordon are doing here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Gordo and I, uh, you know, we started GPS legends baseball and it's a nonprofit select organization here in the Austin area. And, I got to tell you, Lonnie, um, neither one of us set out to run an organization. We really didn't. We were, we loved to coach, man. We just love being out there with the guys and encouraging and pushing and holding accountable and just all those things. I mean, coaching provided for me 
um, what playing did. And I had no idea that would ever happen. I, I always wondered, and maybe you did too, like, what's going to provide that? Every night we know we have a chance to go out on that mound and compete. That gets my juices flowing, man. Like, what's going to do that um, post-career? And coaching absolutely does that. And it's not living vicariously to them. It's just watching them, you know, cultivate, you know, their own, being the best version of them. And it's really, really fun. So, yeah, Gordo and I started that. Um, we have teams from eight eight years old up to 18. I like to coach the 17-year-olds because at that point you're advocating for them with, you know, colleges. We've had a few guys get drafted. So seeing these guys um, try to achieve their dreams, whatever that is, whatever the best version of them is. I mean, if it's just being a great varsity player, awesome. If some of them are going on to big schools, which is really cool. And, and like I said, some are kind of going on that same path we did after the draft and climbing that ladder. So it's, it's extremely fun to watch. Um, so, so, um, so much gratification out of receiving some of these messages, either from a parent or a young man that maybe you've helped. And again, baseball is kind of the platform, but I, I think without the adversity and then the choices and consequences, I wouldn't be able to speak into their life so much on um, just relating with some of the struggles they're having. So it's more than just, oh, I'm a coach who played some ball and now I'm passing it on. It's, it's look, guys, we're trying to make you better young men on and off the field. And, and I think some of those, uh, some of those knucklehead decisions is what you know kind of helps me go look guys I'm not talking about something that I heard about like this is something I've been through and you don't want to go down that road so that that's hopefully that's the plan and the idea is to keep encouraging guys to chase their dream of baseball but also help them become better young men you know husbands and fathers and things like that wow and how many kids would you say have come through your program either through the team the select teams or the camps I know oh. you've done a lot you have any idea? That's a really good question. <laughs> I think we've got about 300 right now. So wow. we've been doing it several years. So I'd say probably a couple thousand or so. Man. Yeah. You know, I, I heard this one time and it's a reason why I'm very active in uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes too, because uh, it talks about the power of a coach and how the hours, I mean, I remember the, the statistics and I can't recall it now, but the number, the, the more, you know, the, the increased number of hours that a coach has with a kid versus even a parent and, and what an opportunity there is there for a coach to speak into a young person's life, to give them encouragement. And like you say, share personal stories and, and not just give them instruction in the way of a sport, but also life and faith and all of this stuff ties together so much, doesn't it? It sure does. And it, it's a, it's not lost on me that it's a huge responsibility. I mean, it's really not. And I enjoy it. I love it. There's nothing I'd rather be doing. Um, but it is, it's a big responsibility. And, you know, many of them don't have fathers in the home. So they look to us in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of all over the gamut of the type of, you know, economics or family, you know, situations that we run across. And so just trying to be um, you know, I've made mistakes, you know, I've, I've coached guys too hard and realized, oh man, they were going through something I didn't realize I needed to tap in better to, but um, it, it's ever evolving and learning, but at the same time, just, just such an honor. I mean, to be called a coach is, it's something, man, you mentioned earlier, our first major league baseball, we've got framed and we've got our pictures and I've got some signed balls by different guys in my room. I'm kind of in the same kind of room you are with some of your memorabilia. And I've got one over there that just says best coach ever. And it's a, uh, yeah, man, it's actually, it's going to choke me up. I didn't plan on going there. And it's just a big note from a kid I coached on the back of it. And every time I look at it, I'm like, man, that's it. That That's, wow. that's what he made me for. That's what I'm doing. That's why I'm doing this. And without all the crash in the fall, I don't, I think I just keep chasing that, that, that pro dream. And there's nothing wrong with that either. You could be mm -hmm. a light in that. And there's several men doing that, but 
coaching these young men here is what, what really is meaningful to me. Yeah. Well, I love the way that you have taken your story and turned it into something that can benefit other people too. And, and to me, that is a great definition of service right there. Um, your, your story for me just encompasses the story of Joseph. And um, if folks haven't read that story, go, go to the end of Genesis and read that story because it's a wonderful story of redemption, of reconciliation. But I remember at the end of that, and of course, we know Joseph lived a life. He was incarcerated, um, wrongfully incarcerated, but um, a host of other, you know, tried to be killed by his brothers, a lot of things he went through. And finally, he has this moment of, of reconciliation with his brothers. And he tells them, he said, what, what man intended for what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And I just think that's such a great verse in light of your story here um, to talk about that, that God can take the broken. He can take, you know, even the bad things of life and he can turn them into something for good. Oh, absolutely. He sure can. And it's mind blowing. I think again, one more encouragement to folks, especially if you've been through something like I have is just don't get caught up in you've out sinned God or um, guilt and shame is what the enemy is going to try to keep on you. And and, I mean, it's still a fight to this day. And it's just like, Nope, I still got you. Every time I wake you up and I put breath in your lungs, I've got a new plan for you. So just let's put that behind you. And I had some folks in the baseball world tell me shortly after that, you know, like an agent I had, hey, let's just get behind, get that behind us and we'll move on. And like, don't talk about it anymore. Mm. <laughs> it was yeah. advice, just making advice. And it just didn't feel right to me. I just felt like, you know what? No, I think this is, you know, we're, we're best equipped to help those that have, um, that were us, <laughs> that mm. have are going through what we went through. And so I think that's kind of my calling now is to try to help either help folks prevent that or, you know, I often get calls from people who have kids going through that and uh, incarceration or facing things of that nature. And then since I've been there, I'm, I'm equipped to, to hopefully, you know, speak some, some truth or some life and, and help them out in that way. So it's too big of a part of my story to not talk about it when I have the opportunity. Well, Puff, thank you so much for your time here. Thank you for telling your story to our audience and for continuing to tell it to others and and uh, keep pouring into the lives of young men around the Georgetown and Austin area. So yeah, thanks, buddy. It's my pleasure, Liney. And honestly, brother, I'm going to say it again. Like I played in 12 organizations for 15 years, had a lot of teammates. You are A1, brother. You are a man of faith, a man of your family. I'm sure you've got your moments, but I'm serious. On that short list, on one hand, when it's asked the question of who did it well, who was able to, to manage it with family and faith and competing and playing, Scott Limerick, you're up there for me, man. I, I love you, brother. And I, it was an honor to be on here with you today. Hey, love you too, bud. I appreciate those words. And um, yeah, look forward to hanging out with you some more. Sounds great, brother. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Get In The Game Podcast, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. Check out sportspectrum.com for more content. And while you're there, consider subscribing to our Sports Spectrum magazine. It makes a great gift and is perfect for the sports fan who loves Jesus. You can subscribe today at sportspectrum.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Get In The Game.